Welcome, welcome again. I love that sermon introduction video. It'll be, unfortunately, the last time we see it upon this sermon series in the book of Proverbs. For now, I plan to come back to it next summer, but we're going to conclude for now in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 23. So if you have your Bibles or phones, please open them up. It's projected here. Let's give our worship to God as I read this for us. This is God's holy word. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. And then verses 27 to 31, when he, God, established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, When he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. A final couple verses here, 34 to 36. This is the close of Proverbs chapter 8. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. It's such a joy to be together with you to worship and to close this Proverbs series. Next week, we're going to go into a contrast of religion versus the gospel. What does a religious person look like versus and opposed to a gospel person? But for now, Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom before creation, wisdom before creation, My friends, when you look at the world, summer has come to a close now. Sure, you've had opportunities to go out and gaze upon all of created intelligence and beauty and order and the marvels of it. What do you see? When you look at the world carefully, what should you see? All Proverbs chapter 8 teaches us that we should see the very wisdom of God in place throughout all of created order. And Christian people ought to worship and glorify God for all the evidences of the wisdom of God throughout all of creation. Do you see it? Do you ever worship and glorify God for it? So that's the first angle we're going to take. Do you see the presence of wisdom in all of creation? Second, I'm going to ask you, is wisdom present in you? First is, do you see the wisdom of God in all creation? Second is, is the wisdom of God present in your life? And third, we'll close with wisdom in person. Do you see its presence? Is it present in you? Third, wisdom in person. Well, in these few verses, Proverbs chapter 8, it takes us on a grand world tour To gaze upon the very wisdom of God. Look at verse 27 once again. I'll read it for us. When he established the heavens, I was there. 
when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. Who established the heavens? Why is it even established? Why is there even such a thing as the deep? Who put it there? Why is it there? Verse 28. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep. Uh, This verse reveals to us, why don't the skies literally fall upon our heads? The sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, why doesn't it fall? And why are the deeps kept deep? Who established and made firm these things, almost fixed the line between them of the skies above and of the waters below? The following verse, verse 29. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Why isn't Huntington Beach, Hermosa Beach, Redondo Beach, Santa Monica Beach, why isn't all of here right now in Fullerton just the beach? Who put the laws or the dividing lines into place between land and sea? Here, the proverbial author says, the waters will not even dare cross those lines because it's been given by command. In other words, there are scientific laws, there are scientific rules or boundaries put in place, but according to the scriptures, they're not just scientific. They're not just natural. They're created laws. They're supernatural laws. And there's a creator God who is wise over all of his creation. The heavens above, the earth in the middle, and the depths of the seas below. From top to bottom, God created it all. And the scriptures goes on to reveal to us from the moment of creative idea, where you just get your juices flowing, and your brain starts to function at hopefully at optimal levels. You get all creative, and that's why human beings above all creatures are made in the image of God, because we can create. Make things. And from the moment of creative idea all the way to its perfect execution, God alone did all that work. He's the dreamer. He's the planner. He's the engineer. He has an operational budget. He's the project manager, the painter, the interior designer. In our passage, we said he's the master workman. And when all the work is complete, he throws a party. And there is ecstatic joy and delight at his creative works. God, from creative idea to its perfect execution, God plays all those roles combined. Again, from the heights of the heavens to the depths of the seas, throughout a million galaxies. God alone made it all, knows it all inside out, sustains it all, for it's all his. There's a Christian apologist, that just means a defender of Christian faith, by the name of William Lane Craig, brilliant. He debated an outspoken atheist who, has, who passed in 2011, but this was in 2009, April, right here at Biola University. And in this debate between a Christian apologist and an outspoken atheist, William Lane Craig opened up in this way. Out of nothing, nothing comes. That's a law. Out of nothing, 
What always comes out of nothing? Always nothing. And so his opening premise is, so why does the universe exist instead of nothing? Where did it come from? There must have been an uncaused, timeless, spaceless, immaterial being of unfathomable power. Only two kinds of things that fit this description. Either an abstract object like numbers or a personal intelligent mind. But we know abstract objects haven't or cannot cause or create anything. Therefore, the cause of the universe, because there is something, not nothing, is a transcendent intelligent mind. This is what we call the cosmological argument for a personal intelligent creator. William Lane Craig went on to say his second argument, which is called the teleological argument, saying that in recent decades, just in the last 20, 30 years or so, scientists have been stunned by the discovery that the initial conditions of the Big Bang were so fine-tuned for the existence of intelligent life that it required a precision and delicacy that literally defies human comprehension. The second argument, the teleological argument, is that the preconditions, the constants, variables, and forces, all these things had to be fine-tuned or precisely right in such a way that life could even exist. Some examples of fine-tuning in the universe, the distance of the earth from the sun, the distance of the earth from the sun, well, if the sun were just even a fraction, even slightly closer to planet earth, you think it's hot today? You think it's hot, it's been hot this week? There could be no life. It'd just be way too hot for life. And let's say if the sun were just a fraction or slightly further from earth, frozen, cold, death, no life could exist. A second example of fine-tuning in the universe, the rotation of the earth on its axis, the rotation of the earth on its axis. If it were slightly faster, if the rotation were sped up just by a fraction, the global winds would be too strong for life. And if it were slightly slower, the temperatures between the difference of temperatures of day and night would also be way too great for life. Now, an astrophysicist in Canada by the name of Dr. Hugh Ross wrote a book called The Creator and the Cosmos. And he offers an illustration of the odds of all of this happening by random chance. The Big Bang. Just sheer accident. Just sheer accident. He puts it at one part to the 10 to the 37th power. I don't even know what that number means. So Dr. Ross gives us an analogy. Because he said this is hard to visualize. Is it not? Again, the odds of all of this happening by accident for life to exist, all kinds of fine-tuning to come into place, to be so precise and delicate, the odds are one part in 10 to the 37th power. Here's the illustration for that. Imagine we can cover the entire North American continent with dimes. Dimes, 10 cents. Cover the entire landmass with dimes. And pile it all the way up to the moon. That would be 239,000 miles. In comparison, Dr. Ross says and contends that you could pay off the entire U.S. federal government debt in one square mile, and it would only reach two feet high if you covered it in dimes. 
That could pay off the entire U.S. government debt, at least back in 2011. I know it's grown. But now you've piled dimes across all of North America, up to the moon, and then Ross goes on, now I want you to cover a billion other continents the same size as North America. And then just paint one dime red. Mix it into the billions and billions and piles of dimes on a billion other planets the size of North America. Blindfold your friend and ask him to pick out one dime. And that's the odds of one part in 10 to the 37th power. Now, now of course, this doesn't prove anything. Oh, you intelligent design creationist, biased people. I have other evidences I could spout forth. But what this does say is that if you don't believe a creator, intelligent, personal mind is behind all the creative action, then therefore you must believe that picking one red dime is more reasonable. See, here's all I'm saying. All of these worldviews take faith. Some other people say, well, no, I believe that this could have happened because I believe in a multiverse. Millions and millions and millions of universes. And then, of course, just one happened to land right, like a roulette ball, just on that right number. Other people say, no, alien design. That's more reasonable. That's more likely that this is why intelligent life exists. We were created and designed by aliens. But no matter what the case may be, what I'm just suggesting to you, my friends, this morning is that all of it require faith. And in the Holy Scriptures, it reveals, no, this was all done by the very wise hands of God. You see, God didn't just make everything. He didn't just roll it out there and say, hey, good luck. Take care of yourselves. God didn't just create everything. He still has wisdom over everything. So much so that in the concluding verses we read, I was rejoicing with him before the beginning of time and space. So somehow this I, I was there, which stands for wisdom. Wisdom was with God before the very beginning. And there was mutual delight. There was rejoicing. There was ecstasy. There was laughter. The soundtrack of original creation, what it sounded like in this cold, dark, empty universe, was not of stoicism, was not of duty, was not of sorrow, was not of cynicism, was not of despair or hopelessness. It was actually of some people rejoicing in one another. And the Proverbs go on to say, not only was there mutual rejoicing and delight in one another's company... They were delighting and rejoicing in their creative works. Do you know that the very word that is used in the delighting and the rejoicing here is frolicking. Frolicking. So my friends, once again, when you look at the world, what do you see? Do you see the very wisdom of God on display? Now, is that wisdom present in you? In other words, how wise are you? God is running the whole world with his wisdom. How wise are you? Is he running your life with his wisdom? Remember, wisdom is a God-given skill of living in keeping with the cosmic order. That's how we had defined it. 
Wisdom is a God-given skill of living in keeping with all of that order. Now, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? It is not wise to pick and choose some laws and some order that you want to obey. And over here, you just constantly break. So, for instance, probably none of us dare to defy the law of gravity over here because it hurts you immediately. You're going to break your leg. But over here in this invisible, seemingly harmless, moral or spiritual realm, we continue to break all these laws because at least we don't feel like it hurts me immediately. But you're so wrong. It does. And it eventually will. They all do. How wise are you? Are you keeping with all of the cosmic order? Physically speaking. I'm so glad that here at this church, we have the, maybe the budget, the generosity. We always say, we don't just offer you donuts. They're premium donuts. They're premium donuts. And I got to say, as your pastor, some of you rush out there and eat it so fast. I try to actually engage and greet people, act like a Christian friendly person. And by the time I venture over there to the donuts, they're usually gone. You savage them all. And it's great that we could enjoy great donuts. Good for you. But let's say for lunch, my lunch is going to be Krispy Kreme. Oh, that's a great place. A dozen donuts for lunch. What are you going to go for dinner? I like sidecar down in Costa Mesa. You polish off another dozen donuts for dinner. Breakfast is donuts. Lunch is donuts. Dinner is donuts. Try that every day for the next week. I won't see you at church next week. Call me. I'll come visit you in the hospital. I'll pray for you. Physically, this is just not how your bodies work. As you get a little bit older, we are forced to comply and obey with physical laws. There are three ginormous temptations in my life. Here we go. I'm going to be very vulnerable here. Okay? Temptation number one, ice cream. Temptation number two, salt and vinegar chips. Salt and vinegar. I don't know who made that. That, that was really evil, demonic. Salt and vinegar, that combination. Third is Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Now, these three things are great at a normal hour of the day. But those three things call my name. They call my name at 11 or midnight. They just, it just seems like they keep asking me to, to come over. They just keep asking me to come over and they want to come and live in my belly. Physically speaking, how wise are you? Because guess what? If you eat right, you exercise right. You sleep right. Go figure. You're actually going to start to feel right. How about relationally? Relationally, how wise are you? You know, the scriptures constantly talk about the biggest threat in every marriage relationship or any close relationship with your BFF is what? What is it? Is it the other person? No, we just confess that sin with Daniel Penn. It's always self-centeredness. Did you know that? Did you know that the greatest hindrance usually or the greatest thing you got to get past is not the other person, it's the self-centered, the self-obsessiveness. The ultra-fragile sensitivity, the stubbornness, the harshness, the rudeness, 
The blinders on, no self-awareness. Here's what the scriptures say. Continue to go on living your life selfishly, selfishly with yourself at the center, and you're going to find that relationships don't work. How wise are you physically? How wise are you relationally? Oh, how wise are you spiritually? In our chapter, it concluded this way. If you love anything more than God, if your heart gets wrapped up in anything or anyone more than God himself, you injure yourself and you actually love death. Spiritual laws are in place. Spiritual laws are in place, whether we like them or not. And if you as a creature start to love another creature, a created thing, way too much, that thing can never handle it, and that thing can never love you back the way you want it to. And as soon as you love anything more than God, it actually is counterproductive and self-destructive. How wise are you, my friends? Is wisdom present in your life? Let me give you two practical features of wisdom. Two practical kind of manifestations. I'll ask it this way. First is, are you in love? Are you in love? Might be a little bit stunned by that. Said, uh, I thought we were talking about wisdom here. What kind of question is this? Are you in love? Oh, it's a very relevant question. And actually the gateway to all the wisdom you can ever gain. Proverbs is written to young men and sons, is it not? That's the usual audience, the address that is given. And the Proverbs is about trying to deliver wisdom to young men. So of course, not only is he going to give wisdom, he wants to deliver it wisely. And what you find over in Proverbs 3 and throughout many, many different chapters of the Proverbs is he talks to young men, he says... I'm going to tell you that you need to get wisdom like you pursue a woman. Wisdom is actually referred to as a her. Wisdom is personified as lady wisdom. And in chapter 3, the proverbial author, parent or mentor, tells his young boy, he says, if you get her, if you pursue her, she will make you richer than all the wealth on the planet. There will be honor and grace bestowed upon your head. You'll most likely live a longer life and you might be really happy. Wisdom is personified as lady wisdom. Oh, and as opposed to there is such a thing as an adulterous wisdom. An adulterous woman who sights and sounds and smells and stages of seduction are actually listed out in detail, chapter after chapter after chapter, because young men and women always struggle with this. Instead of pursuing lady wisdom, we're going to go after the adulteress. And the Proverbs actually tell us, when you start sinking into those stages, please stay far away from that. Please steer clear from that. Please run away from that. Don't go into that bed in the basement because sometimes it's just too late. You can never turn out. The question is, how wise are you? How do you get it? Well, are you in love? Are you in love? Because you always pursue most what you love. In love... You pursue. Now look at verse 34, what it read to us. Blessed is the one who listens to me, 
watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Listens, watches, and waits. Paul Kim is my brother-in-law. He just visited me this week because they're dropping off their oldest son, my nephew, studying at Biola University. It's crazy. They're sleeping over at my house, and I got to recall how Paul liked my younger sister, Linda, back in college. And they're both at Cal and freshmen. I heard rumors about this boy from San Jose. I didn't like him right away because he had blonde streaks in his hair. I just judged him right off the bat. Blonde dyed hair, can't be a good dude. Former skater. And the guy would not go to class. I heard rumors that he would wake up at 3 or 4 p.m., just completely ditch class, then finally take a shower, groom himself, dress himself, put cologne on, and he just waltz on over and venture into the library at Cal because he knew that's where my sister would be diligently studying. Yeah, he was in hot pursuit. I sent two good friends of mine to go bless him. <laughs> and I'll tell you details about that later. When I found out this guy was hunting down my sister at the library, I said, two friends, just, just go bless him. Yeah, welcome him. Anyhow, Paul is going to be our now married and family retreat speaker in October. You don't want to miss it. It's on the theme of love. And I can attest as Linda's brother, this guy is good at loving It's quite remarkable to me that he loves my sister. All of these years to this day. But it started just like that. I think some of you are probably new in this room. That I, it's an old story to me. When I first flew down to meet Sunny in person, she had not had a visual photograph of me. I had come straight from worship service at a church in Virginia on a Sunday. And I just went straight the way that I was dressed on that Sunday. So I dressed slacks, white socks like Michael Jackson, because I thought that was cool, with dress shoes. And on top, I had a retreat t-shirt tucked in. <laughs> that was my look. That was my look. And for Sonny to actually see me that way on the first day, and then to actually continue to take my nonstop calls, my pursuit of her, the other side of pursuit is you got to persevere. You got to be receptive for her to even listen and take these calls. It's a wonder to me. You pursue most what you love. How does wisdom come into your life? It's not so much mastering a set of rules. It's not so much memorizing pithy proverbial statements. It's not just about learning a book. It's about falling in love into a relationship with God. How do you actually really become wise? It's about a love relationship, not just a set of rules. Here's a second practical feature. Are you in wise community? Are you in wise community? Proverbs are written and delivered by wise and loving parents, and then, of course, wise and loving mentors. When you get to Proverbs 10 and beyond, you'll see these pithy one-liner statements. Sometimes they're very confusing. You've got to sit and try to understand and unpack what it means because no one proverb gives you the whole picture about a subject. They all have a different little perspective. They all have a little bit of a different nuance. So you have to learn to connect them together, discuss and reflect and apply them together. And of course, how would you do that best? 
when you do it in a group, a community of wise people. A community of wise people. To this day, I've learned as much, if not more, from my roommates in seminary than I did from my incredible professors. Let me translate what that means for you and I. To this day, right now, you are probably more affected and changed by people closest to you than the pastors of this church. And this is why small group sign-ups on September 8th, 5 p.m., is no joke. That's no joke. We're not, we're not playing games with this one, guys. That deadline really counts. And there's a lot of people of our church now as we offer 51 groups. If you want to have a selection, if you have a preference of what kind of local, small, wise community you want to belong to, September 8th, 5 p.m. I hope it's a little more important than your fantasy football league. But are you in wise community? You see, because here's here's reality. Some of you are really, really good at making money. It's like easy to you. You just make it left and right. But you're greedy. You're obsessive about it. It keeps you up at night. Some of you are book brilliant, book smart. You'll pass any test. You're going to get into any school. People are just awed by your brain power. But you're bad with stress. Like you're really, really bad with stress by yourself. Are you in wise community? Because the Proverbs are meant to be learned and discussed and processed and applied together with his people. And when a truly wise guy or a truly wise gal seeks outside and godly counsel, advice, guidance, or help, this is where the scriptures promise wisdom can be gained in a love relationship and with a community of his people. So we come to this. Wisdom in person. Wisdom in person. When you open up the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, it actually presents Jesus Christ in precisely Proverbs 8 terms. It's very hard to miss. It says, in the beginning was the word. And that's translated from a Greek word saying that there's a logic in order or wisdom to the whole universe. So the opening of John's gospel says, in the beginning, that means the beginning before the beginning, before all of creation, was this logos, which can be translated not just the word, but wisdom. And then he goes on to say that that wisdom was God, and the wisdom was with God, and that wisdom with God, without which nothing could have been made. Here's what this means. Here's what this means, my friends. In the very beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in perfect love relationships. They were frolicking and delighting in one another. They gloried in one another. They deferred to each other. They were rejoicing in each other's company. They honored one another. They perfectly loved one another. And out of an explosion of that infinite love and joy, they created all of humanity and all the world to share in their love and joy. Out of those perfect love relationships between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the world came into being. Go figure. So the original meaning and the original purpose to all of life then 
You see, if you were created by that kind of God, the original purpose to all of life then is not, it's not power, it's not possessions, it's not pride. It's certainly not sorrow or sadness or shame or separation or loss. And it's really not all done by accident at all. No, the original meaning and purpose to all of the universe. And this is the ancient and most deepest wisdom you could ever find. Is that it's about falling into love relationships. Because the greatest physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual fulfillment you will ever get. Is to know and taste and resonate with and replicate. The perfect love life that our triune God enjoys. That's what you and I were created for. To fall in love with our maker and to fall in love with one another. Did you know that? And this is exactly why Jesus Christ, the word and wisdom came down. And we beheld him in the flesh, full of grace and truth. Jesus brought down that wisdom in person to us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. For all, all have failed to live wisely. All live out of whack. All of us live out of order lives. All of us have fallen short, not only the glory of God, but the wisdom of God. All have sinned and fallen short, but all can get it in Jesus Christ. But why don't all get it? All can come and get it in Jesus Christ in a person. But why doesn't everybody come and get it? Why are there so many of you this morning that will walk around and walk out of this room completely unfaced? Nothing will be changed. How is that possible? When the scriptures declare, all have sinned and fallen short. And then he brought it down in the person of Jesus. Here's how I think why so many people never come and get it in Jesus. Read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Let me venture a guess why some of you in this room don't come to Jesus and get wisdom. Because you actually don't really believe you're a fool. And it's really, really hard, isn't it? I know it is. I struggle with it. It's really hard to believe and feel that you're such a fool. Until you suffer its consequences. Until you suffer the losses. See, so you can abuse your body for like two decades, never take care of it, and then someday your body breaks down. You can lie here, lie there, gossip here, slander there, lie here, lie there, little lies, little lies, but just nothing but little lies. 
and then friends find out and you lose your friends. You're not used to working hard. You never really work hard. You're not punctual. You're not responsible. So you lose your job. You're abusive. You're abusive. You might lose that person that you abuse. You neglect or you cheat on your spouse and your family. You neglect and cheat on your spouse and your family. You might lose your family. You're an addict. Through and through, you're a real addict. You might lose everything. Now, my friends, I want you to see. I want you to see with me. Do you see the breakdown of Jesus Christ at the cross? Have you ever noticed why Jesus lost his body and his relationships and his very soul? Have you ever wondered why Jesus lost it all? Why would the perfect and the wisest of all suffer the fate of fools? Why would the one whose life is in perfect, perfect, pristine order end up so out of whack, out of order? That's because he came for you. My friend, I want you to listen to me this morning. Some of you are feeling and finally suffering through the consequences of your habitual foolishness. But I want to tell you about someone you can never lose because he'll never lose you. He will never turn away from you. He will not be stunned and surprised by you. He is not ashamed of you. Jesus Christ will take you in, take your out-of-order life, and give you his wisdom in his life, even after death. He will love you like no other, and he will never stop loving you. If you know you're a fool, and you need the wisdom and the life that came down in person, only in Jesus Christ. So, my friends... As we come to a close in Proverbs, love Jesus. Love Jesus. Do you? How are you doing with that? It's the wisest thing you'll ever do. There's no downside to it. Love Jesus and pursue living out his word with this community in his world. And you're going to grow wise. Love Jesus. Pursue living out his word with his people in this world. And you're going to grow wise. Friends, when you look at the world, what do you see? When you look at the world, what do you see? You should see the wisdom of God. And the world still runs remarkably well, doesn't it? The world still runs beautifully, doesn't it? Even with all the pollution and baggage and ruin we bring to it, it still runs. So if God could run the entire universe, 
and he runs it beautifully, why in the world wouldn't you believe that he could run your life better than you? Why do you still think that you can run your life better than him? Come to Jesus. Trust and obey. Love him. He'll pour out his wisdom and life into you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there is grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. All of us have fallen short. All of us are out of order. And all of us groan and suffer the pain. But I ask, oh God, that you who came in Jesus Christ, would you now take our shame, take our sin, and give us your very spirit and fill us from top to bottom. Then we might walk with you in your word, with your people in this world, that we might delight you, please you, and bring many more friends and family to life in Christ. Hear us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.